Welcome to Enigmatic Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Ampoff, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Once a week, we'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current things facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. We'll have a mixture of episodes with guest interviews and solo episodes, all designed to challenge your assumption of what fashion is, who it is for, and who can participate in this industry. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Metapathology Podcast and at Metapathology. We'll link in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Manic Metallic Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host. Today, we have what turned out to be a marathon conversation with UK native Kimberly Kleska. Kim has worked many years in fashion and has such a variety of experiences intersecting with the fashion industry that there's sure to be something for everyone here. She's a radio host for Radio Lentau, a journalist, a co-founder of the young women's magazine, MTAC, which stands for I'm More Than a Cover. Kim produces a collection of wearable art scarves that includes companion journals and cards. All of these displaying her fascination with the delicate strength of the butterfly. Her Wings of Love collection remind us that we are the splendor and amazing creations of life. She's worked as a mentor and a stylist for multiple well-known pageants throughout her career. And Kim is also a publicity global peace ambassador and a children's author. And she's lived in 11 countries while being a traveler her entire life. I'm not sure what she doesn't do or hasn't already done, but we shed a lot of light on her experiences in this episode. Join me in welcoming Kim to the Manic Metallic podcast. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Liberty, and thank you so much for inviting me. It's lovely to be chatting with you today. Likewise, you as well. So could you give us a bit in, I'd say, one or two sentences for our listeners? What is your involvement with the fashion industry? Basically, what do you do with fashion? Of course. I design scarves, women's scarves with butterfly faces on them. So I believe that the woman evolves as a butterfly does and transformations over a certain period of time. And what I've done is I've created these butterflies with women's faces on them in very bright colors. And there's artists that match them. And I also have journals that go with these butterfly scarves. And I have butterfly scarf tops and also parios and sarongs. Okay, so you have journals that go with the scarves. That's interesting. What's the reason for that? Because I feel women have so much they have to deal with in life. And sometimes it's nice to step off, take a deep breath, go somewhere quiet and put your thoughts on paper. And I find sometimes it's really hard for us to come together and think, okay, what am I feeling at this time? What is going on in my life? I've got to wear so many hats. How can I pull this together so I can put my thoughts on paper and come back to them when I'm ready again. So that's why I pulled the journals in with the scarves, because I thought that was something that women need once in a while. We need to take a deep breath and we need to come up for air. I just think that as a writer myself, I know that Manic Metallic is a media company that stretches across the entire medium spectrum, audio, written and visual, but I've always been a writer at heart. So I thought that the journals is a nice touch. Thank you so much. I'm glad to hear that. I am actually getting people are coming back to me and they say, oh, we love these journals. Because what I've done with the journals is I've also put quotes in, some of my own personal quotes that I think about life. And I've also put, for instance, an opening 
to something. So what does love mean to you? What is life about? What inspires you? Where do you see yourself? What is important? And I'm hoping that this will kind of make people think, because sometimes when you're sitting in front of a journey, you're like, where do I start? What can I write? Oh my gosh, what have I got in front of me? There's so much to write. And I think this kind of focuses a little bit for each person. So hopefully that works. (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds like a lot of people are getting into it. So that's a good thing. Now, you also are taking part in a magazine. Am I correct? And we can talk more about it as the show goes on, but just give us a little bit about that. Yes, of course. We have a magazine, which we started actually out of Hong Kong. There's uh, two owners and we decided to put this magazine together for young women, for women who are in their mid to late teens to early twenties, because there's so much going on. And I feel that we get unfocused sometimes, or we're thinking, do we want to go this path? Or maybe we don't want to be a dentist. Maybe I want to be a fashion designer, or maybe I want to be an artist. And this is the route that we feel, and you know, with parents, for instance, they'll say, okay, we want our kids to be doctors or what have you. And I think with this magazine, it helps them understand through other mentors who have actually done things in life. They're not tax people, or they're not lawyers and working on judicial projects, or they're not architects, or they're not doctors. They are actually creatives. I mean, you've got tree huggers, you've got all sorts of different people out there that are doing amazing things and giving back to the world. And they haven't gone through this normal traditional process of getting a degree and a master's and so forth. They've moved on and done different things. And so we wanted to encourage young women to understand that you can be something else and what life predicts and what they expect of you. And we've got those stories. We've got stories about sustainable fashion. We have stories on young women that are doing amazing things like young teenagers that have gone with a hobby and they've gone to the next level. We've got so many different wonderful people out there. We've got angels of the world that are giving back and doing amazing things, helping communities and helping the homeless. So it goes on and on. So this is what we wanted to do with this magazine. And we're really enjoying it. And we're so very, very honored to meet these beautiful youngsters and women around the world. Right. And so before I go on, what's the name of the magazine again? I'm not just a cover. So MTAC for short. Okay, gotcha. It is an important view to take with a magazine. It's an important mission because I feel like the world that we're in, especially Western cultures in my view, tend to have this viewpoint that, especially if you're a parent, you want your child to go into something where they can make a living. You want them to be able to take care of themselves, to make money. And on the one hand, you can understand why a parent would want to do that. They just want to see their child successful. But on the other hand, if you're a child or a young person generally, and you're creatively inclined, I think that having those things forced on you, like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, etc., it can be really harmful to those types. So what MTAC is doing is really important, just so you know. Thank you so much. And I think also it's important to be happy in the world we live in. I think happiness is really important. I think if you're happy and you've got some form of goal that you want to inspirational, you know, idea or whatever you might have in life, whatever's important to you, and you go for it, 
I think you will have a much happier life than pushing all these expectations onto these youngsters and making them stressed and the suicides that you have to deal with and the issues you have to deal with and the drug issue because people want to hide. So they go on to drugs. And also you think about the different cultures. Every culture has a different way of bringing their children up and every culture expects something different from their children. So we do bring a lot of this in and we give this magazine as a platform for these youngsters to be able to talk to people. We do have a Dear Sissy part where these kids will come in and they'll ask questions and we will answer them. We've got a great girl who has studied psychology. She's a doctor herself and she's actually an Asian young lady. She's wonderful, bright as a spark. And she's really helping some of these youngsters with their ideologies and their issues that they might have. You know, boys, for instance, that's a big thing. People that are dealing with gender equality, there are so many different subjects out there to cover. And if we can just do a little piece of it out there, I mean, we can't cover everything, but if we can have a little piece and we can bring some happiness and some harmony to these young women, that's what we're hoping to gain. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's cliche at this point, but if we all did our part, then we could have a better, more creative and artistically interesting world. So now we're going to move on a bit. And I want to know about your early life, your childhood. What got you interested in the fashion industry as a youngster? And if you weren't interested in being in fashion from a young age, how did you come to want to be a part of the industry? I have always been interested in fashion. And I think why and how that all came into my life is I was a global nomad coming from parents that were a little bit out there. Like even when I was just born, they, we were in a caravan. They bought a caravan. They had a house, but my mom wanted to travel with my father. So we lived in all these different caravan parks with a lot of very interesting characters, which is a story on itself, which we won't go into right now. But I was around different people all my life, grew up in Africa, lived in Asia, lived in Europe, um, lived in America. And I saw so many different cultures and fashions and so many things going on and color. Color was always very important to me. I thought that color made me feel happier and I noticed it made other people feel happier. And so I thought, okay, I would love to do something with fashion, but you know what? I'm going to put that on the back burner right now. And then when I moved to America, married a lovely American, and I got into journalism because I was actually going to be studying to be a vet, and that didn't work out because I fell in love. And um, while I was doing journalism, I was pulled into the Miss America program, and they asked me if I would help the youngsters get up on stage, talk about certain subjects, their interviewing skills, talking in front of a camera, knowing how to handle themselves. And I kind of learned along the way about different fashions, putting events together, and it evolved from there. And I thought to myself, you know what, I really feel that people have got too much stuff. They need to just have one or two or three items and then add accessories to it and create 10 or 15 different outfits. And while I was doing that, I thought, well, how can I think of something that will be easy just to pop into your bag, something that you can pull out if you're going to an evening party or you're going to a daytime event or you're going out for breakfast. And so I thought scarves would be a great thing to do and accessories. And I just kind of put that on hold until later on in life. And then it evolved from there. But I've always had my finger in fashion. I've always dressed up. I've always dressed girls up. I've always packaged them. I worked in the entertainment business. I worked with different bands. 
packaging the bands, putting them together for their covers on records at that point and their CDs, helping actors. I've worked with musicians, helping them. I, a couple of girls I worked with were their pianists and I dress them for their concerts. So I've always had my fingers in the pie in one way or another. So it sounds like you did a lot of work centered around self-image in different industries from, again, acting and entertainment, music, to pageant work. And I would imagine that, not even I would imagine, I know that fashion is an industry that as much as we like to create discourse around it with Manic Metallic and other outlets do the same, fashion is an industry centered on image how one looks. That's what it is at the surface. So I'd imagine that a lot of the work that you did that centered around self-image helped you when you jumped full on into fashion. Am I right? Correct. It did. And I really became fascinated with the psychology of fashion. And that was many years ago when I was in my early 20s, because I watched on several occasions When I took somebody and I created a whole new look for them, the vibe and the whole positivity and the confidence that they gained from that was fascinating to me. And I realized also culturally as well, because fashions obviously are different in cultures. You know, you've got the sari, the kimono, the kabaya, you've got the hanbok. Every different culture you go to, there is some traditional costume that they will wear. And when you're working with these different traditions, and these cultures, and you're figuring out exactly where they, it all started, and what kind of materials they use, and the colors they use. It really helped me understand the psychology behind how it all came together. And I felt that really helped out. And I I saw so many people come from very quiet, very timid, to blossoming into amazing human being, which they already are, but they didn't realize how they could pull this together. And and getting in front of a piano and even changing the color of the piano, for instance, making it a bright red piano with a black gown and teaching them just to sit there and work the audience. Just doing that. I mean, it was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And it was so fabulous to watch. It's my butterflies once again. They start in a chrysalis form and they blossom into a butterfly and fly. Right. And the psychology of fashion, I've always found it interesting. I remember about a couple of years or so ago, Manic Metallic did an article on color theory. And as we jump deeper into it, we're talking about what each of the different colors mean and different types of color combinations. But then you realize, okay, we're talking, for example, about the color red here. Well, red in Western culture is going to mean something a whole lot different in, let's say, China and something in China is going to mean a whole lot more of a different thing than someone based in Africa or Australia. So looking at fashion psychology, then you have to tailor it based on where the person is from. It means that you have to have a good understanding of all of these different cultures. And I feel like that's kind of hard. It is. And in some of these different societies, you also have the caste system. So they would dress completely different to what another culture would. You've also got to be very careful too. For instance, if you're in some of the Arabic countries and you show the bottom of your shoes to somebody, that's very offensive. So you've really got to, before you even work with the different cultures or do anything with them, you've really got to understand where they come from, how it started, what is the meaning behind it, how to react. 
how to not offend people. There's a lot that goes into it. It's fascinating, actually. It really is. Yeah, I definitely agree. So you mentioned that when you got to the United States, you were going to go into being a vet, but you ended up being pulled into Miss America. How does that jump happen? How did you go from studying veterinary medicine, I assume is, is what it was, to being pulled into helping out with a pageant? Well, what happened? You're going to laugh at this. <laughs> I actually was studying journalism because I thought, okay, I've got to do something instead of my veterinary. So when I came to the States, I studied journalism. And while I was studying journalism, I thought, you know what? I need to be in front of a camera and I have no clue how to do makeup in here. It's like, I'm a kid from Africa. I grew up in Africa. I, it's a ponytail, a bit of lip gloss for me and a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and some of the African clothes I would wear as well. And I was like, I have no idea what to do. And I'm in America. Oh my gosh. I'm in California. I'm in the land of crazy people with amazing outfits and different uh, look on life. So I went to uh, John Rob uh, Powers and I got a job there for them afterwards, actually teaching. And I ended up working with John Casablanca and Barbazon while I was simultaneously going through school. And while I was doing that, the Miss America organization approached me and said, look, you're studying journalism, you're teaching and you're doing all these kind of things. Would you mind helping us out? So I went there. I helped. I went through actually learning how to be a judge, which takes many years. And you have to sit on these different judging panels. And as long as you get your stuff as close as you can to what other people are thinking when you've got the young ladies out there, it was very interesting. So I learned everything from somebody who's playing a flute to someone who's playing a piano to a harp. You know, how do you judge them? The presentation, how many years they've been in it, what kind of training have they had? How do they work with the audience? And then you've got to look at their interview and their platform. And so I worked with that. Then we get to the swimming suit, which I was pretty much against at that point. I thought, you know what, why can't they have exercise outfits or something? Why do we have to put them up on stage with their swimming suits? But that was a different thing that happened later on in life. It all changed. Then you've got their talent, where they've got to figure out what kind of talent. Once they get through to the next level, can it be on television? You've got to go through all the red tape. Can you use that song? Can you use that dancing piece they've got, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, you've got their clothes that they've got to wear. Okay, they've got their evening gown and they've got their interview outfit. So it just went on and on. And it was such a very interesting learning experience for me. So I started off doing that. And then they approached me and said, would you be interested in doing a Miss America pageant? And I thought, well, this is something new. I've never done this before. So we were living in Long Beach at the time and they didn't have a Miss Long Beach. And I thought, well, why not do a Miss Greater Long Beach? So we did a Miss Greater Long Beach and it was a lot of fun because I pulled it all on. The whole theme was on the silent movies. So I pulled it on the silent movies because some of those beautiful old houses would have these rooms underneath the house and they would have these walkways that would go to the beach and they would have all these beach parties and what have you. So we did the Keystone Cops and we did all this kind of thing. And it was just really good fun. And then it just evolved from there. And then I did lots of other bits and pieces with the pageant industry, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I then went from that, I then worked with the Miss USA, Miss Universe. I worked with Miss Netherlands. I worked with the Miss New Zealand program. Miss Netherlands, I did a lot of stuff. I worked mainly with their talent and their interviews and getting them packaged for the overseas market and working with the overseas programs. That's a lot. And it's something that getting into 
working with pageants, I feel like when we, a lot of times when people see pageants, we see, at least in the United States, we've heard of Miss USA and we've heard of Miss America. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that pageant work is, it's almost like its own world. And it's actually really, really expansive. Very much so. And these young women are very bright. Their GPA is high. They work hard at school. A lot of them are doing it to get scholarships to university. They're spokeswomen. You've got the girls that win for the each individual country. They're your ambassadors of the world. So they're promoting their country, everything from tourism to politics to whatever platform they truly believe in. If they're against abortion, if they're against drugs, if they're against eating disorders, if they're into working with young women and doing confident building, whatever they might believe in. And that in itself is very, very cool. It was lovely working with their platforms. I got to work with a beautiful young woman out of the Netherlands called Sherilyn, and she started the Sherilyn Foundation. And she helps a lot of people because she's half Filipino and half Dutch. And she helps a lot of people in the Philippines. So I've been to the Philippines with her and I was very, very fortunate because I gave away some of my children's books and my puppets and what have you to the children over there. And I got to really get my hands on, roll up my sleeves and figure out exactly what she's doing and help her while I was there. And it was just really remarkable how this young woman had involved. And she also was a DJ on the side as well. So she did a lot of DJing around the world, but it was just brilliant to see the amazing things that she was doing for her country, both countries, both the Netherlands and the Philippines. And this is just one of many. And I don't think people realize what's going on behind the scenes. They see a pageant on the night. Oh my gosh, this is what this is. But there's a lot that goes on and these women are incredible. Certainly. So we're hearing a lot of stories here about how you've traveled a lot throughout your life and you've had all of these different experiences. And I feel like a lot of people don't get that opportunity to see as many different places and different types of situations that you've seen. So tell us, looking at it from a fashion perspective, you've gotten to see a lot of fashion around the globe. So I feel like it would be too expansive of a question to ask you, what do you think about global fashion? I mean, that can mean anything. (laughs) So let's narrow it a bit. You're living right now in the United States. And you're a native of the United Kingdom. So how would you describe United States fashion and the United States fashion industry in comparison to that of the United Kingdom? What I like about the American fashion, I've seen it evolve over the years. That's pretty cool for me. And I've seen young designers coming out of the woodwork and being able to showcase their pieces, which didn't happen many, many years ago. And I love the fact that they are showing their inspirational pieces from their belief system, which I think is brilliant. And I see a lot of this happening. I see a lot of cultural pieces coming out, very diversified. I do see that you guys wear a lot of jeans, (laughs) which was very interesting for me. I find it's quite a uniform over here. It seems like every person I look at in one way or another, you might have a couple here and there that are not wearing jeans. You guys love your jeans. Levi's done very well over in America. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that was also very interesting for me. When I first came to this country, I could not believe how many pairs of jeans I saw. We hadn't got there yet as far as that was concerned when I first arrived. But I do feel that America has evolved. And I do feel that there are so many opportunities for designers over here and different types of fashion. I know you go to New York and that's where people is based in New York. But if you go to every single different state in America, it's all very different. It's like really living in Europe. You hop over to another state, they dress differently, they act differently. There's even different foods. They have different American accents. So it is quite interesting in America as far as that's concerned. You go to England in comparison to America. England can be quite traditional in some of the places. Like if you go to Wales or you go to Cornwall, you've got a lot of country folk that will wear more countryfied clothes and they won't wear colors that are quite so bright and what have you. So more in our cities will go into bright colors. I mean, London is a melting pot, as is New York. There's lots of bright colors. You've got many different cultures there. So when you look at the UK nowadays, you can't say, well, this is the way UK is. It used to be where it was quite formal and they would have quite formal patterns. And some patterns would be a little bit wild and crazy. Some would be a little bit more traditional. But because there's so many different cultures now in the United Kingdom, there's so many different types of designers. And I feel that you can find everything over in London as you can in New York. And I think you'll find things that are similar, that will cross over, things are a little different. I do find that there's a lot of, when you're walking in London, for instance, a lot of girls that would like to wear miniskirts and very tall boots, thigh-high boots. And then you might see some teenagers wearing really wide jeans with really funky platform shoes. And you might see a lot of kids, which they're doing nowadays, which I notice also in the States they're doing, they're going into these secondhand stores and they're really into their vintage clothing. And they're really into sustainable clothing because the way life is, people don't have as much money or affluence as maybe they used to because we're watching our stock market and 401k and the parents are watching. And the parents are like, go and test the waters. And the kids are like, you know what? We don't want to be having all these hundreds and hundreds of pieces of clothes, maybe like our mother used to have. We want to have a more of a sustainable world. So we want to go to the green stores and we want to go to the vintage stores and we want to go to the different auctions and pick up some of the clothes and so forth. So that's where I find it, it has changed. Interesting. So it sounds then like there are actually a lot of similarities in the United Kingdom and the United States, at least if we're talking about New York City, where the American fashion industry it tends to be centralized. Now, as for America being like Europe, and since you can just hop from place to place and they're different, I've always thought of the United States of America being, I know that it is a full country, you know, a country of 50 different states, but I've always felt like, I don't know how other people feel, like our 50 states are almost like 50 different countries that happen to be unified under one government. And so, yeah, you hop across the state line to New Jersey and New Jersey is very different from Pennsylvania in certain ways. Or even if you go from South Jersey to North Jersey, there's a different culture there. Or if you leave the East Coast entirely and you go over to California versus Montana, yeah, you will find a lot of differences there as it relates to fashion. And 
one thing that Magic Metallic has done, you know, back in November 2021, I believe it was, we published Alternative Fashion Capitals. That's our ebook where we studied 20 different places in the world, 20 different cities that had these different fashion perspectives, places other than New York, London, Milan, Paris. We didn't necessarily get into what the United States itself is doing, but I think that I might like to have Manic do a study of fashion just within this country because there's a lot to be mined there, I think. I think so. And I don't think people realize that overseas. And I think you have to live here and be part of it to really understand what's going on. I mean, a lot of our fashion today is influenced by our popular culture. And if you look at our culture and you look at the media and you look at songs and videos and everything that's going on, it's really important to see that. And we have different artists in England to different artists here in America, but they do have a big part on fashion with what they wear and how they come across. And the kids love to watch the videos and they love to create their own look and lookalikes and all this kind of thing. And I do think that has a big feel and vibe in each of these countries. And so every single state you go to, they've obviously got different artists there as well. I mean, if you're going over to the country side of America, where you've got the country, they're going to wear more country folk. They're going to be wearing more their jeans and their cowboy hats and their kind of funky clothes that they wear on stage. I mean, if you're going to go to a place where it's more sunny, they're going to wear, for instance, Florida. It's going to be warmer clothes, light clothes and a light looking. So it also depends on the weather as well. Everything is different on, and how people look at things as well as what their culture is, their history and how their parents were. I mean, you've got the farming community here in the States. I mean, there's just so much going on that I think nobody has any idea until you are stuck or right in the middle of it in a positive way and you just flourish and you learn. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think that the important thing for people to realize about the United States is that it really isn't a monolith. Again, there are 50 different states, 50 different cultures. But you say that and then you realize it's kind of like that with everywhere, isn't it? Because you go to a country like, I don't know, France or a country like Nigeria or a country like Argentina, and you're going to have those differences that are contained within that one whole. And I think that people tend to generalize when they are not from an area like me being from the United States. I can look at somewhere like France. Well, I mean, I've been to France now to multiple parts of the country. So maybe that's not as good of an example. I can look at somewhere like Spain or I can look at somewhere like, uh, let's say, Japan and say, oh, this is how Japanese people dress and this is how Spanish people dress. And it's absolutely not true. It's just that I have no close knowledge of those places. Exactly. And I think a lot of what's going on in the world, as far as the different countries, is understanding the traditions. Traditions are huge, and they're part of families and the core values of what's going on in those countries. And I think from that, you can also see how people evolve and what they wear. And I think it's very interesting to see. I mean, even in Japan, for instance, I was in... I was actually in Japan and I went to Disneyland because I wanted to go every place I go to. I try to go to Disneyland. I want to go and see them. And it was East meets West. It was very cool. And 
I watch all these young kids, they're adorable, late teenagers, all dressed up with their cute bows in their hair and their cute little outfits that match and their little Disney hands and their little backpacks and they're all matching. And it wasn't just one group of kids, it was just every second person I looked was all dressed up and it was part of what they do. And if there's anything special that's going on, the Japanese really dress and the kids are really cute with the clothes they wear. I mean, they're adorable and they create their own looks and their own uniqueness. And it's very interesting to see. And yet you would look at Japan and you think, okay, they would wear the kimono. And that's just history. Some parts have it because of the tradition of their dancing and what have you. But that's not really who the Japanese are. But we kind of would look at it because this is what we see. Okay, well, this is the kimono. This is what happened in Japan and this is what they wear. But the youngsters are really with it with their clothes. And it's really, really cute to experience. I'm sure it is. And I'd love to go to Japan someday. I have a couple of questions that I want to ask. Since you've been to so many different places, what is your favorite country, would you say, as it relates to fashion? Outside of the United States or the United Kingdom, what would you say that your favorite country is as it relates to fashion? Oh, that is a tough one. <laughs> huh. Because Africa is very special to me. I love the African clothing and the fashions and I love the materials and the textures and all the different patterns and the vibrance. But I do love Italy. Italy has to be very special for me. When you go through Italy and then you're walking in the streets of Milano and even Zara's. Oh my gosh, I've been to so many different Zara's just to have a look. Because Zara's is around the world. And Zara's in Milano, it's a beautiful store. And there's models fashioning and there's high-end stuff in Zara's. And I was really surprised. And you walk along the streets and everybody's dressed up to the hilt. The kids are all dressed up and they're or going out. And even when we went on the train, these kids have got their fun boots and their handbags that match and they're putting their lipstick on and they've got their whole cute look. They look like they've just come out of a fashion magazine. I was really fascinated by that. But every country to me has something special to offer. It depends on what you're looking or what vibe you want. But I would say what pops out the two is Africa and Italy. Okay. Yeah. Italy, I again, went there for the first time last June on my honeymoon. And maybe this comes from not having as much experience with the country. You know, I was there for two and a half weeks. I was in Rome, Florence, and Milan. And so I noticed that, yes, obviously people are very, very well dressed. But I also noticed that there were quite a few people that were dressed casually. And I didn't know whether those people were maybe tourists that were visiting the country that were dressed casually, like in jean shorts and tennis shoes, things like that, or were they tourists or were they Italian folks and maybe Italians secretly dress casually sometimes and we just don't see that from an outsider's perspective? What would you say? I would say a lot of them are foreigners. You might okay. find... <laughs> you might find some of them dressed casual, maybe, but I would say a lot of them are foreigners because even when you go to the supermarkets, they have these big, beautiful supermarkets, you get a big thing of Parmesan and what have you. The women are all dressed up with their gold and their earrings and their hairs all up and their makeup's just so. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was very casual. <laughs> 
I like just to go to the supermarket. I was like, okay. And you knew they were Italian because they were busy talking away in Italian to each other. But I do think the more casual people you'll find are tourists because they're on holiday and they don't want to be bothered with wearing lots of fancy schmancy clothes unless they're going out for dinner somewhere or they're doing a special event of some sort. But other than that, they just want to put on their comfortable shoes, their comfortable clothes and go and see the country. I see. So my suspicion then is partially validated then. I kind of want to believe that, oh, Italians dress casually sometimes too, just like us. But I will say that being on that honeymoon, when going throughout Italy and France to these different cities, I actually dressed up a decent amount. And it wasn't because, oh, I didn't want to look like a schlep beside the Italians and the French. I mean, although that was part of it, but I figured that When I'm away, I like to look nice and put in an effort. But then again, I've always loved fashion and I'm probably an anomaly with most people. I feel like most people would, as you say, want to go on vacation and just be casual and not have to try so hard. Exactly. And I think a lot of people don't know how to maybe put their stuff together in a suitcase, packing it all. I mean, there is a whole world on putting a whole suitcase together. And being able to get five, six, seven, eight looks out of one outfit and being clever how you put it all together. And people are like, oh my gosh, my suitcase is going to weigh too much. What am I going to do? How can I do? So we'll just go with the easy things. And even when you're working in stores or what have you, you hear people saying, well, I need something when I'm going on holiday and I need something that's just going to be easy for me just to shake out and put in. I don't have to iron it. I don't have to do anything like that. So you might find that people are more willing to just be more casual and they're thinking, well, people aren't going to look at me. I don't know these people. I won't see them again. So that that might have something to do with it. Yeah, that makes sense. Could you tell us now about how you, as a person that has traveled as much as you have, and you've obviously built connections overseas on an international basis in all of these different countries, Tell us how you build these cross-cultural connections with people and how have those connections helped you within the broader scope of the fashion industry? Yes, of course. First of all, one of the things I got to do when I was living in Hong Kong, I was a radio host and I had two or three different topics that I would cover and one of them was fashion. And so I would go out on the streets, I would talk to people about the clothes they were wearing. I would talk to people about their cultural experience and why they would pick that color or those clothes. So that was very interesting. It was really interesting seeing that, and especially in Asia at that point. So I kind of worked with many different people, men and women, youngsters, and I really enjoyed that. So I learned a lot about what clothes meant to people, the psychology of clothes, the color, etc and the traditions of clothing for them. So that was really interesting for me. So while I was doing that, I started thinking about creating my line with the butterflies. And when I was doing that, I worked a lot with the International Women's Organization. We put on fashion shows, and we worked with a lot of different designers from all over. And it was very, very interesting to see how they thought and their perspective and why they created the pieces they created for that audience or for that group of people, for the Asian market. 
we did a fashion show called East Meets West. And it was interesting. We, so we had Western pieces up on the runway as well as Eastern pieces. And we intertwined them. And that was very cool to see, to see that whole perspective behind the fashion industry. When I was in New Zealand, for instance, I worked with the uh, Smoke Free Fashion Awards. And what we did is we came up with an idea and a concept. We'd say, for instance, this year we're going to do circles. So these designers would go out, create pieces on a circle, and then they would come up and they would showcase them. And we had anywhere between 60 and 70 designers. It grew into Asia. We had people coming in from Thailand, Australia, New Zealand, Europe. People came all over to do the Smoke Free Fashion Awards. And it was interesting to see how people worked together, how communities came together. We had towns, for instance, that would all come together, a small little town, and they would create a piece. So they would all come, they would have a little chat and they'd say, okay, let's do circles. You'd have four or five or six designers put this whole piece together. So that was really cool and very unique to see people putting their heads together and coming up with a new idea, a new concept and working as a community. So I've seen that. I'm also tied up with the um, International Women's Peace Group, the IWPG. And what we do is we help people around the world. And then it could be anything. It could be war zone. It could be children that are from homeless. It could be anything that people are suffering, anything at all. And so what we do is we come together, we'll bring designers in that will help make clothes for these youngsters, like t-shirts or cool little outfits. We have people coming in and helping women make clothes because they have no clothes. So the whole community will come together once again. So I really love this community building of creating a system and creating outfits and helping each other and helping people that have nothing. And I really love that about the fashion industry around the world and what people have lost and what I've gained by seeing what's going on around the world. It's just been really amazing and amazing people doing incredible things. Yeah, I think that people have this view of fashion that you are either in one of two camps. You are either on a mindset where fashion is a community and we all love each other and we're all friends and we're helping to just create this awesome creative space, or you have the mindset where fashion people are horrible and they're selfish and no one helps each other and it's just completely awful. And it sounds like what you're saying here is that you're closer to the community building site where fashion does work off of a community basis. It works together to help people out that need it. But I feel like a lot of times when people have that community mindset, as it relates to fashion, it's usually contained within the fashion industry. So what you're doing is an example of fashion reaching outwards to actually help others, which I think is really inspiring. Exactly. And also giving these youngsters who come from nothing for instance, they're in India, very poor community. But if somebody could give them some material, okay, and just say to them, okay, take this material and make something from it. Maybe they don't have a sewing machine, but they're incredible at sewing and just create pieces and give them an opportunity, a chance. Just like in Africa, for instance, and this isn't fashion, these farmers that have nothing, okay, they've got drought, there's nothing going on. But people have said, okay, here's some seeds. Go and plant those seeds. They plant the seeds. The seeds grow corn. 
there's corn now feeding their family. It could be the same as fashion. It could feed the families. It could help their families. And if we could donate different things, sewing machines, and help these youngsters, because a lot of them are quite talented, actually, because they have to make something out of nothing. You had many years ago, I'll never forget, my father saying to me years ago, when he would go to Poland, for example, he'd go to Poland and he said the one thing he saw, and it was very amazing to him, was the Polish. The Polish women had nothing. They had nothing at all, but they were always well-dressed, well-groomed, put their outfits together. And what a lot of them would do was make their outfits out of curtains. They would take the curtains, they'd make a little suit out of it. They never had sewing lessons. They never had anybody helping them along. So there are so many wonderful things that we could do. And as designers ourselves that can help people around the world so that they can put clothes on their body, that they can feel special when they're going out for that little meal or whatever they're doing, or if they're in front of the locals and they're walking down the street to do their shopping, they don't have to be embarrassed. They can feel proud and confident in who they are to get them to that next step. And I just think if we can do this with fashions around the world, how brilliant would that be? I love this because it falls into Manic Metallic's ethos, which our ethos is fashion as an art, as a discipline, and as a societal force for change. And it falls right into being a societal change agent. The fact that in this way that you're describing, fashion really can change lives. And my husband and I, we were having a conversation last night, basically about, we were watching a documentary and there was someone in the fashion industry, I won't name who, they were basically saying that if you are meant to be great, if you're meant to do great things, then you're going to make it happen no matter what. And I think that that is a really, really misguided way to think about things. Because on the one hand, sure, you maybe you could think that way. But I happen to believe that there is a lot of greatness out there. There's a lot of talent that will either that potential will never be fully realized, or it will never be recognized because people don't have that opportunity. They don't have the resources or the materials to practice those skills to be able to realize that talent and make clothes for themselves and their families and their communities and whatnot. So if there were more efforts, I think, to buy the wider industry to come together somehow and see if we could do something somehow to bring this talent forth and to just give people more opportunities, I think that that'd be wonderful. I agree. I mean, look how they've taken the computer, for instance, into some of these African countries, right? They had no computers in the school. And these kids have evolved. It could be the same with fashion. You go in, you have two or three or four designers. You bring in some sewing machines. You bring the materials in. You have somebody showcase them how to make a pattern, etc. And you'll be so surprised at how these kids will fly and how these young women will fly and how they will help their communities and the amazing things that they will do. And I think there is opportunity out there. And I think there's a lot of people who would love to have that chance that don't. And then once you've got them and you're helping them, I mean, you'll go to Africa, for instance, with some of the places and you'll see people, some of the African girls making lovely beads. They make bead bracelets and necklaces and they sell them on the corner of the street and you're driving along and you suddenly stop off and they're making tablecloths and things like this. 
I mean, I think it would be great if we could get them to evolve even more so and help them build their community because they do have their small communities and they do need to be kept alive. They need help. And I think there are so many different things we can do. And I think within fashion itself, it's a huge, huge market. There's bands, there's bands in different parts of the world where they get together, they know they can play music and everything, but what clothes can they wear? How can you brand that band? How can you put it so the rest of the world sees them? Because they've got amazing voices, they can play incredible instruments, but nobody will ever see them because they don't know how to brand themselves, how to put themselves together, how to put their fashion together, how to put their whole essence together to make something of themselves. And that is half the battle. And I think if we could go out there and help these youngsters and help anybody in the world, it could be anybody, it could be a group of grannies who want to just sit there and they want to make clothes. They love knitting and crocheting and what have you. And they want to sit there and make something and do something. And maybe even if they're making clothes for the babies that are being brought into the world and they've got the materials to do that. I mean, there's just so many opportunities and I think the world needs it. If someone out there is listening to this conversation, this is a great opportunity to solve an issue that could definitely use a bit of help. Yeah, if you're interested in that, actually message me because I want to talk to someone more about this. Maybe there's something that Manic Metallic could work on with someone that might be listening to this podcast or if you know someone that might be interested in coming up with something. Because again, I think that that could have the potential to really change a lot of people's lives. Let's segue into something different, Kim. Talk to us about something that you're working on right now inside of fashion that is really exciting to you. Of course. I'm working on some new scarves. I just designed some and just put in an order for some more artisan scarves. And I'm hoping to, I'd like to create some fun, funky pants. I'm looking at pants, trousers with the butterfly material and also scarves that you can put over the top of your pants, for instance. So they'll have elastic on them and they'll have the different patterns. So if you've got a plain pair of pants, you can just pop them on and you can take it off. I'm very much into taking an outfit and adding to it and taking away from it. So I'm busy working on some of those right now. And I'm going to be working on a new journal for next year. And as a side thing, I know it's not fashion, but I've also got my children's stuff that I'm working on. I've just written another children's book and I'm doing a children's game, mental children's game that goes with the puppet, with Clara the Cow Puppet. So I'm also doing, so I've got both the business going on simultaneously. You're into a lot of different things. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think I drive my husband (laughs) doodally. He's like, what are you doing? What is going on here? But I actually started off with the children's stuff and then I went on and I did the scarf line because I felt that when the women are coming to me and they're always asking me, oh, I like the way you dress and you pull things together and I love your scarves. That's fun and everything. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a line of scarves. And that's why I started this because I felt that I wanted to have something for the women as well. And I did feel that women also need to have something that makes them feel positive and wonderful and fabulous. And I always feel a nice scarf or an artie in your hair or some something fun on your bag, something that's It's artistic and it's creative as well that they can pull together with their whole look. So it basically does go hand in hand. You can have a puppet on one hand and you can have an arty on the other. 
Right. Yeah. I feel like once you start one business or once you start one creative venture, it's like it starts to snowball. Like me, once I started Manic Metallic, I just started getting all kinds of other ideas from this direction and that and this. And I'm learning now how to filter my ideas and how to work on things that I have time to devote my energy towards. I know like some people are better at working at a lot of different things at once. It sounds like you're one of those types, but I feel like a lot of my energy goes specifically towards semantic metallic. So I'd like to have time to work on my other ideas too. But that's often another tangent. It's a conversation for another day. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? You are doing amazing things and you'll keep evolving and you'll keep growing. And and that's brilliant. And it's fun. Just like I'm not just a cover, we're going to be doing a podcast with it. That's the next thing we're going to be working on. And what's really great is I was working in Hong Kong and I spent four years working on the radio. So I got to meet a lot of amazing people around the world. And so I'm now able to reach out to them and get the podcast going so they can tell their stories because there are so many people out there that have wonderful journeys and they have a special story and they're all unique and they've got something very, very wonderful to share with us. And it has a special essence. And at the end of it, maybe a special note for each one of us that we can learn and we can use in our own lives. And this is what I love about people. Human beings are wonderful. I love animals. I love nature. But I just love people. People are fantastic. Whether it be the guy who's sitting on the bench that's homeless, he has a story. He's had a journey. He's gone through a lot. And I've had a chance to talk to some of these guys that are just sitting there and listening to their story. Or whether it be the lady that's selling flowers on the corner of a street. She has a story. She has a journey. Or the fashion designer that's creating their own things but has been afraid to get out there, they have a story or it it could, you know, there are so many brilliant people out there, so many wonderful, every single person, as far as I'm concerned, is special and they have a uniqueness. And I think we should listen to their stories. And that's why I'm hoping with the things that I do, whether it's fashion, whether it's doing the, the children's books, where I can get the books out to children that haven't got a chance to buy a book where they can download it for free and they can watch videos or I'll send them a book or what have you, or whether it's somebody who would like a scarf. And even if they can't afford a scarf, you know what, I'll send them a scarf or they want a journal. I mean, I want everybody to have a chance of seeing how amazing the world is and how wonderful the human world is too. It is amazing. Keep us updated on your podcast efforts because it sounds like it would be really interesting once you create it. And I think I'd like to listen to it. Next question. Could you give us a direction in which you'd like to see the fashion industry heading in the near future? I would like to see the fashion industry be more sustainable. I don't think we need all these fast fashions. I don't think we need to be spending all this money on materials. I think we need to be a little bit more smarter. I would like to see it diversified. I'd like to see the world come together as a community, learn from each other, not the backstabbing. Oh, well, we're going to be one man you up here and we're going to do this. Why not come together? Because why not be a think tank? I think there should be a think tank for fashion. We need one of those. And people pulling their essence and their purpose into it and working together and showcasing what can be done, bringing youngsters up, molding youngsters, helping them, 
helping people that wouldn't normally get that opportunity, giving them a chance, making them realize that they are special, teaching them that, you know what, you can do this. You can. We're here for you. I'd like to see more of that coming in with fashion, but I really think that there is so many opportunities and I don't think it has to be all about who has the most money and who has the fastest cars and who has the fastest this. It has to change up a bit. It has to be different. It has to come from the ground. It has to be from the ground up. It really has to work that way, I think. I know we've got the big guys out there, which is brilliant, and we would be lost without having those guys. They were the ones who directed us, who pointed us in the right direction, who gave us opportunities, who made us realize what fashion is, what fashion is all about. But I do think we can start from grassroots. I think getting some of these grassroots businesses up and running, giving them opportunities that they wouldn't normally get. As I said, bringing these kids in from grassroots, teaching them, doing a lot more interaction where these kids can work with different designers. They can work side by side. They can learn from them. It's not, doesn't have to be all about, well, this is my secret. We don't want you knowing any of this. I mean, come on. It's time to show us your secrets. Seriously. Because what happens? What happens when these people pass and we don't have them anymore? And I find that's really sad with a lot of different jobs out there that have been in the family for generation to generation and people pass and they don't showcase They don't have this information where you can learn from it. It's gone. When they die, it's gone. We need to come together and we need to make sure that it can keep evolving. That's what I'd like to see happen with fashion. So you just made a really good argument for anti-nepotism. Because if you have a company that, let's say you're keeping it in a family, like generations, what happens when there's no longer anyone to take over that company? to take over that business and just keep it going. Everything is going to die with them. And so if you make it more of a collaborative effort, you bring more people in, then these things can continue and it can continue contributing to society. Now, one thing that I find interesting, you mentioned sustainability also. I feel like every single guest that I've had on so far has basically gone the sustainability route. And I like to see that. It makes me think that sustainability is on everyone's mind in the industry, which is good. It's a start. But I believe that we have to have more of that thought, more of it being on people's mind, translating into specific actions to move the industry forward on its sustainability goals. I think so. I mean, (laughs) I go into my wardrobe, okay, and I've got four wardrobes just full of clothes, and I don't wear, seriously, I'll be serious about it, I don't wear 60% of them. How sad is is that? Yes, because I collected, I mean, I've, I've given a lot of stuff away, but I don't wear all my clothes. I mean, I've been in the business of clothes, in the pageant industry, the entertainment business, going to parties, going to expat parties and events and ambassadors dinners and all the things that you do when you're traveling right and you have to have all these different outfits now in today's world where am I going to wear these so you have all these clothes that you have and it's ridiculous and it's just a waste and I'm sure if everybody was to go into their wardrobe and just lay it all out and see what do they really wear and how much money have we taken and what has it taken to make that garment and where has that garment come from I mean, there's children that are working in factories overseas and you see some 
crazy stuff. You really do. You see children working in factories. You see all sorts of animals that are being killed for no reason. All the other bits and pieces, we could go on and on. This could be a whole subject within itself. And I just think we just have to be really aware of what's going on. And as I said, these fast fashions, they're clocking them in now. Boom, boom. You know, if you look at some of these stores, they've got these fashions. They've got so many different fashions going out per week, per day. And they're just making these things one after another, after another, after another. Do we really need all that? Is my big question. Well, the easy and short answer is no, we don't. (laughs) But fashion being what it is, it's going to take a while for everyone to come around to that mindset. There's something else that you mentioned, basically having, to sum it up, basically having more of a collaborative fashion industry. And we actually, towards the end of season two of the Manic Metallic podcast, did an episode that we titled Collaboration Over Competition because the industry is at a point where so much needs to change It's at this turning point where so much needs to change that nothing's going to change. If we keep being in competition with each other, there does need to be more collaboration. And I like to think that with Manic Metallic anyway, and with myself, just the way that I go about fashion, I don't see myself as having any competition. I don't have any. I see myself as being there to serve fashion not in a servant way but being there to serve fashion because I love the industry and I want it to succeed but I'm also not against partnering with other people to make that happen it needs to be a community effort I love that I think that's brilliant and keep moving forward with that I mean keep the communities coming together do the amazing things that you're doing. It is just really important that we have more people out there in the world like yourself. I just think it's so important. Being a person that's lived in 11 countries, I've traveled to over 90 different countries. I've seen so much of life and it really needs help, especially I feel in this field. We've got all the big names and the big people, but we need room for other people too. And I think we can do this. I think the same. So we're moving towards the end of the podcast. I got a couple more questions. Could you give our listeners just one piece of advice if they're looking to join the fashion industry in some form or capacity? What would you say to that person that they could do that would help them? Keep being creative. Go for long walks. Take your, my my son gave me this pen where you can write with it, but you can also talk into it. Talk into a pen if that's you want to do and make notes. Take a little black book with you everywhere you go and write notes. You see something, write it down. You, an experience, the way people are walking, way countries you're going to, a, a tree, whatever. Just keep creating data for yourself. Just keep that going. Don't give up. Do not give up. Keep going. You might have the whole world say, you can't do this. There's no way you can do this. But you know what? You can. And I do think it's really, really important to believe in yourself and keep up with your ideas. Just keep evolving and keep going in that sense. Learn everything you can about fashion. Find one or two or three or five people that you just really would like to mentor and learn from them. See what they do. What does it take for them? What is What is the day in the life of a designer? What are they up to? What are they doing? 
How do they wake up in the morning? What do they do? How do they create their ideas? What goes on in their head? How do they, when do they sleep at night? Really, really learn about those different designers, especially if you're going that route. Then create your own uniqueness, your own essence, yourself. Learn from them, pick a couple of things that you like from them, and then evolve from there. Find out what classes they're online. There's a lot of free classes that you can take online. You don't have to go and spend a lot of money right now to find out if you, this is what you really want to do. Really find out if this is what you want to do. Go and be an intern. Go and work for somebody. Just learn about the business. Watch fashion shows. Just keep learning, keep evolving, and I think you'll be brilliant. And it will all come together for you. And go for it. That's all great advice. And it is really important to point out to people that while should find a few people in the fashion industry that they're interested in and perhaps want to emulate a bit, it is important to not clone those people. It's important to take what is going to help you and then incorporate that into who you are and what you want to do and then move forward instead of doing what, let's say, what Bella Hadid's doing or what Katie Grand's doing exactly to a T because what worked for them isn't necessarily going to work for you. Correct. I, I truly believe that as well. But you just, I mean, every single designer you can learn something from who's out there, who's doing things. I mean, maybe one of them is really brilliant at marketing and their designs are okay, but they're very clever on how they put their ads and their marketing and their models and all this kind of thing. Maybe somebody's really good with color, you know, just learn by color. Maybe somebody's really got some really cool designs that they've added. I mean, every single designer has their own uniqueness and we can learn so much from them. And then we just add that essence into what we would like. And I also think too, when you're a designer and you're designing something, go out there. For me, I find when I'm going for walks or I'm looking at nature, that's what helps me get my whole essence moving and my uniqueness moving. I like to see nature and I like to see the world. I do mine through world and, and, the, and the nature, what's in front of us. And I learned so much from that. I mean, even old buildings, you'll go, for instance, we were talking about Italy, Italy, and they've got all these bright colored houses, you know, look at the different colors and how the colors all come together. You can just learn about color just by looking at these properties, or you can learn about how nature puts colors together with flowers and with trees and different types of greens. and you can add some of these patterns into what you're doing. I, I mean, there's just so much to learn from and so much you can do with what's out there. Absolutely. And it definitely takes a really creative mind to be able to put all of that together. Learning about color patterns from nature, how these things all come together. And you do have a very creative mind. As do you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so last question here. We're going to wrap up. I'd like to ask each one of our guests this question. Could you give our listeners, if they were visiting the area where you're based right now, give our listeners three recommendations, whether that's fashion designers in the area, fashion boutique, fashion concept stores, things like that. Give our listeners three recommendations from your current city or town where you're based, where they could shop and engage in fashion. Of course, we have just down the road, we have a store or it's, she's got a group of stores. Actually, I did an interview with her in the magazine and she owns, I think there's seven of them called Green Street. And just and for, Kim, just for clarification, where are you based? 
Oh, sorry. Of course, of course. I'm in Chesterbrook. I'm on the main line of Philadelphia. Okay. And this fabulous lady that I actually went in the store when I first moved here from Hong Kong, just over a year or so ago, I walked in and I said, can I do a story on you guys? And they said, of course. And it's, she's got great stuff in there. She's a sustainable um, store and she's got lots of vintage clothes and a lot of fun clothes in there. So that would be one I would go to. And she actually started off in New York selling, I believe they were blankets from Mexico. You know, the Mexican blankets. Right. She had a booth there in New York and she's got this store. It's really, it's wonderful. And what's she would the name be of the store again? I think it is called Green Street. Okay. That is one I would go to and see. Just trying to think of what else we have. We have a cute little boutique, which is in Paleo, and it's just about 10 minutes away from me. And it's got very cute stuff. It's called Polka Dot, and it's got very cute, unique stuff. She's got one-of-a-kind stuff. I would really recommend going to her store. And then we have in Devon, just on the beginning of Devon, there's an area called The Village. And inside The Village, there's lots of little tiny boutique, unique boutique stores that you can go and have a look. I would have a little browse around there. They go from low end to high end. And they have right there actually a tea house called The Taste of Britain. So you can go have a look at the different clothes and then you can go and have a cup of tea and a scone after your shopping. That must be perfect for you having that British tea shop there. <laughs> I love it. And I go in there and they've got all the naughty chocolates and all the different biscuits and all the different jams. And trust me, <laughs> I have a heyday there. It's really good. And they do the three levels of tea where you have little sandwiches and the little petit foies. And oh my gosh, very naughty, but very good. <laughs> naughty, that's hilarious. Have you ever gone to, I know we're getting a bit off topic here, but it's, it's a fun topic, people. Have you ever been to a, first of all, have you ever been to New Jersey? I have been to the Jersey Shore. Okay, so you're British and you like tea. You would love this little town called Haddonfield, New Jersey. I think that you should go there and... Of course, my husband works over that way, so that's how I know about it. But they actually have a lot of cute little British shops, some fashion, some tea, some restaurants. So it would be, and one of those stores, actually, when Queen Elizabeth II passed away, actually had a shrine to the queen there. So just a little suggestion for you. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, how about we go on a date? You and I will go over there and do it. <laughs> we can, we yes, can wear our we can wear our hats and we can wear our gloves and we can go and have some fun. Yeah, that'd be cool to do. We'll we'll plan it out. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. I'd love to do that with you. Right. So that's gonna be the end of our podcast. And you gave a lot of really good advice on here, Kim. And I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the whole thing, but I enjoyed specifically hearing about your international experiences and how that's affected your career in fashion and how you've built connections with people overseas. And it's like it all just comes together to create this really, really interesting and energetic and vivacious personality that is you. So thanks, Kim, for being on the Manic Metallic Podcast. You're very welcome. And it's been wonderful, wonderful being on there. Thank you so much. And I hope I gave you enough information that you needed because, I mean, I could go on and on forever. So. 
If I went off on a tangent once in a while, let me know. <laughs> so. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because I feel like our listeners are very, very intelligent people and they love a good story and they're going to get a lot out of what you've given us. So thank you again. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for inviting me. And once we get the podcast up and running, I would definitely like you on board. So we need to sit and chat about that. Absolutely. Well, I, in advance, I accept the invitation. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion-inclined friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.